son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. Quick warning here at the top. Today's episode has an unbleeped curse word. Earlier this week, we did a whole show on school desegregation. Specifically, we talked about a place where so-called busing worked. Berkeley, California. That's where Kamala Harris grew up. But in a bunch of American cities, the schools are still racially divided. So today, we wanted to talk about one of those. New York City. The conversation I'm about to play for you took place about a month ago at our first live show in downtown Manhattan. My guest was New York City public advocate Jumani Williams. Being the city's public advocate means being a city watchdog. But it also means that if the mayor is gone for more than nine days, Jumani can take over. And right now, Mayor de Blasio is running for president. That means long trips to places like Iowa and New Hampshire, which kind of gets Jumani thinking. After nine days, then I start to assume some of the powers. But I don't, I don't see that happening. He's, I think he's going to like at least touch LaGuardia and go back up. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have like rehearsals? Are they like, OK, here's how it's going to go? Well, I've, I've told my staff to find out how much damage we could do in an hour. <laughs> Let's just have that ready. <laughs> okay, what's the, what's the first thing you do? I, I don't, we're trying to look in the, the executive orders that we can, <laughs> we can get through. Jumani grew up in the New York of the 80s and 90s. Crime might have been higher back then. But for a kid like him, there was also a lot of opportunity. He got a great public education. Now, fewer black kids, fewer kids like Jumani, are getting the opportunities he got. So today, Jumani's going to tell me his story and talk about how it's changed the way he approaches politics. Because when it comes to fixing school segregation, he has some ideas I hadn't heard before. I'm Mary Harris. You are listening to What Next. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by SAP. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI will not help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos, but it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia, or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks, or automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Before we talk about New York City's segregation problem, I want to tell you a little bit more about who Jumani is. He's been an activist, a city councilman, and part of the reason I wanted to talk to him is because he's got this interesting way of speaking about power, how it works, who it works for. And his perspective, it comes from a really personal place. You gave this acceptance speech that was kind of amazing because you talked about growing up in the city 
And you talked about the meaning of you becoming public advocate and winning this role. You talked about being a black man and the role of even trauma in your life. And I, I wonder why you wanted to do that. Well, I mean, as I mentioned then, I, I had been in therapy for the past three years. And it was the most amazing thing. I wish I had done it when I was younger. Uh, if I'd probably be married with kids right now, uh, if I had done it a lot sooner, my mother would be happier. Um, but <laughs> Do I, it for the moms. Uh, but I thought it was important to use that moment to, to start talking about this stuff more, particularly black, Latino, immigrant communities where therapy is not talked about in a way that I think it should be. So see, people have no problems going to the doctor if they're sick, but... Uh, if they need to check in on mental health, it's not, a, it's not a conversation that happens. And I wanted to open up that conversation to folks like me to let them know it's okay. Like the pain I was feeling when I was growing up and trying to figure life out, and it's a, it was a real thing. I just pretended like it wasn't real. And it just it manifests in one way or the other. Um, and it was important to me to, to have that conversation come out. It was important for me because I, you know, I ran for lieutenant governor uh, last year, got really close, shook him up. Um, but... Uh, uh, but I, for the first time, when I was very associated with titles that I've had, and for the first time I wasn't, and it was a very freeing moment. Like, I, if I won or lost, I was going to be all right, and so huh. I think that was important. And you think that was because of therapy? I know that was because of therapy. Huh. So, tell me about someone who's come up to you and talked to you about, like, what, what, that, spe that, what that speech meant to them. The, the, the most touching was uh, um, black men who you wouldn't imagine, huh. that they look kind of tough on the exterior, talk about what it meant to them, and then... People talking about, um, they started talking about it with their families. And I had a few teachers saying they've been showing it to their students. So, you know, I don't want to get emotional now, so I'm trying to just be cool. I'm <laughs> not going to make you cry. <laughs> <laughs> but I, even before that, when I lost the lieutenant governor's race, there was a young man who came up to me. And a lot of folks thought he was black, but he wasn't. He was a young white man who had Tourette's syndrome. And that was a touching moment because he said um, he has Tourette's and he wants to be elected official. I have Tourette's syndrome, by the way, so you may see me shake a little bit. I'm okay. Uh, I get offered a lot of water. People think it's hiccups. But um, <clears throat> so he came up and said he wants to be an elected official, um, but he, did, he didn't think he could. And he saw me up there and he had hope. So that was kind of amazing. That, that shook me up for a while. I was amazed when I read that it took you a real long time to be diagnosed with Tourette's and you didn't really even realize you had it until I think you watched an episode of 2020. Yeah, I, in the ninth grade, I got diagnosed. And that's because my mother saw, uh, 20, we were watching 2020, and the guy had Tourette's. And um, my mom said, I think you have that. I was like, I don't think so. She was right. But um, <laughs> but, uh, but it was amazing. The one thing about that show, by, by size, it helped me be diagnosed. The guy, so his tick was the N-word. Oh, um, boy. And he was white. So oh, okay. that's uh, probably not the not best tick to have. the best tick. But... He found a way to get around it, so he would go nickels, pennies, and dimes <laughs> to try to try to go out. And what helpful for me because at that point, one of my ticks was asshole. Oh wow! Yeah, and I didn't want to run around calling by asshole, so um, I went asshole really quiet. And so, if I hadn't seen that, it might have. Um, that was a very helpful in <laughs> trying to figure out how to adjust life properly uh, with the not screaming out and cursing everybody out. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you've also talked about how. Like one teacher really made a difference to you. This teacher, Mrs. Ned, I think. Miss Jeannie Ned in the fifth grade. But, um, yeah, because you talk about getting into a lot of trouble. What did she do for you? Like, is there is there a piece of advice you still carry with you? Well, one is teachers aren't babysitters. They are critically important to young people's minds. Uh, it was a bad combination. I have Tourette's, ADHD, young black dude, 
and I'm just I was not the best behaved as well. So it was a bad combination of things. But she had a uh, she had a very l big heart for young black children in particular and troublemaking boys. <laughs> she just gravitated <laughs> to us, and so she didn't know what it was, but she saw something else that other people didn't see, and she had a feeling that I wasn't doing everything on purpose. You see troublemaking, like, give me an example. Like, I remember trying to pretend I was sick and went to the, the nurse's office and I pretend I had my ankle break. And she just came and pulled me out. <laughs> and then she pulled me out so fast, I couldn't remember which ankle I said it hurt. <laughs> so it was a very weird experience. I mean, I just, I, part of it was the ADHD. I just couldn't sit still. So I was always running around. I was always doing something. Um, they had this thing called conduct cards. I don't know if they have it anymore. But it was like freaking report card every day which is stressful because you have to, the teacher has to sign it and your mother has to sign it. And so I had these conduct cards. They were trying to get me more behaved. My report cards were, you know, my nicknames were needs improvement and promotion in doubt. Uh, <laughs> so I always tested well. Yeah. So I tested into uh, SP program. I tested into my junior high school. I tested into high school. And the SATs helped me get into college. But in between that, my grades were terrible. And so they always, it was, it was schools that you tested in so they can kick you out. So they're always trying to kick me out. But Miss Ned would always step in and make sure that um, they didn't. Individual teachers like Miss Ned were able to step in and help individual students like Jumani, but they weren't able to stop the relentless sorting that's taken place over the last few decades. The ACLU now calls New York schools among the most segregated in the country. You can find this segregation all over the city, but much of the public debate has focused on just a handful of schools, the so-called specialized high schools, these schools admit students based on the results of a single test. And over the last few years, the number of black students scoring high enough to get in has plummeted. Some parents and politicians look at the city's segregation and see this test as part of the problem. OK, here's what I want you to help me figure out, because I'm really glad you brought up the testing, because you started being really outspoken about the controversy in the city over the specialized schools, because you went to one of them, you went to Brooklyn, Brooklyn Tech. Tech. And so for people who may not know, the way you get in is just a test. That's all it is. There's no grades. There's no interviews. There's no nothing. And over the last decade, maybe, they've begun to really stratify racially. But you've been really outspoken saying, don't get rid of the test. So it's interesting. If I hadn't gone, I might actually have a different view. But there's a few issues for me there. One is, if you take away all of the specialized high schools, you'd probably have one of the most segregated schools system in the entire country. And so we're pretending So they're like, not the problem. So they're pretending like these eight schools are it. And the mayor and folks are concentrating on these eight schools that they actually have to change law to change and they're not looking at the schools that they can change immediately. They have more diversity issues uh, than some of these specialized schools, and nobody's speaking about them. And we have to ask what happened, because when I went to Brooklyn Tech, it was over 50% black and Latino, and that has dwindled to, to uh, embarrassing amounts. And the question is why? And so nobody wants to ask that question, we want to have knee-jerk reactions. And then if for me, if they had done anything else, I would not have got into that school. And then my trajectory of my life might have been different. What also happened, and we can't blame them, is the Asian community, they were having their own kind of discriminatory kind of things, and they found this system and way to get in. And they started doing massive testing within their community. And so the way it works is kind of on a scale. So the higher the score, the more you need to get in. And so because of the testing programs in the Asian community, because they focused on it, 
the grades started going high and high and only the folks who were taking this test prep, because I never took a test prep, started getting into it. And so we have to look at those two things and try to fix it. But I will say it also tracked what happened is the migration, immigration, because in the 70s, 80s, 90s, we had a huge influx of the Caribbean community. Mm. And so my fans came from the Caribbean. They also found that this system, hey, if I can crack the system and get a quality education. But, um, and that happened to the Asian community. I don't, I don't want to punish the Asian community for finding it. Uh, we just have to find a way to address it without pitting two communities against each other. That takes leadership. That takes courage. And a simplistic solution of just getting rid of the test, I don't think does any of those. Someone who made me think a little bit differently about this issue said to me, you know, what he was worried about, this is a black man, he's like, I'm worried about what it says about what you think about black children. They can't take, they can't, they they can't, can't take the test. Yeah. And you're saying something really negative with that if you're getting rid of the test and you're making it, you know, something different. What's funny is it, people usually are okay when it's not them. So I went to a hearing uh, for the state assembly and they were grilling me, grilling me. And I was like, well, well why don't we do the same thing with LaGuardia? Because we don't. Uh, we're not talking about changing it then. And the assembly member at that point looked at me, oh, I went to LaGuardia. You know, you, you have to have special talent. And I was like, well, it's, you know, it's the same thing. You, you basically auditioned. I didn't, I didn't have any prep to audition. I didn't have any prep to take the test. And so people have a tendency to think differently when it's them. Funny enough now, they're looking at changing uh, how people got into LaGuardia. And now all the students are actually pushing back, um, which, uh, which is pretty good to see, actually. Hmm. You mentioned how you went to this school and how like you can't help but feel a certain way about it. How much of the opposition do you think is people being like, well, I got in and trying to sort of keep folks out? So I've tried to think about that a lot. A lot of our issues are about privilege. Somebody has something and you don't want somebody else to have it. Whether it's driver's license, uh, whether it's marriage, whatever it is, or I have this and you want to keep it to yourself. And so the way I've tried to deal with that is say, again, let's make sure everybody has access points. So I'm not saying that we should not relook at this. I'm actually, there's some folks who are saying keep the test only. I'm like, maybe that's not the right way to do it. But let's keep some seats for people like me who can show that what I can do academically on a test. And let's keep some seats for people who can show what they can academically do with the grade system. And I think that way, everyone just has some access. I just don't understand why people want a system or prefer a system that says one or the other when we can let everyone have an ability to do it. Okay, you have seen the city from so many different angles. And I'm wondering, now that you're in this position, like, what do you say to your constituents who get really frustrated with how the city is working, who are on that subway every day? Like, what? What? You know, like when someone gets really frustrated with the job government is doing, you're inside government, yeah. but you've been outside advocating for change. What would you say to them about what's going on that they may not be seeing? Well, it's more fun to advocate. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you that. It's much easier to, to, to scream. Um, I forgot. I think I, was, I told that the police department. Somebody was saying, you know, they were saying, well, you could be mayor. I think it was a police officer. I said, like, yeah, it's much easier to scream at y'all. <laughs> um, but... Government does have a job to make sure we're taking away all the barriers from whatever community is there so they can live their best life. And we haven't done a very good job of that. And that's because I found that a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times, the seat that many of us hold become more important than the people we're representing. And the most important thing is to try to figure out how to get reelected. And so I've decided, I'm not perfect, 
My batting average is pretty good, but I'm not perfect. Yeah, how do you stop that? I mean, you're um, as an elected official. Well, because you're human. I just try my best to minimize it as much as possible. And I tried to decide that I didn't get elected to get reelected. I elected to do a job. And so I'm going to do the best job I can. I hope that does get me reelected, but it might not. And you have to be okay with that. Jumani Williams, can we give him a round of applause? Thank you, thank you. That was awesome. I appreciate it. Peace, everybody. All right, that's the show. Today's show was recorded live at the SVA Theater in New York, where I also talked to Wyatt Cenac and Mimi Roca. It was all part of Slate Day. And if you missed it, there's always Slate Day 2020. Seriously, stay tuned. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, and produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Ethan Brooks. If you are looking for another good listen right now, you should click on over to The Gist. That's where Mike Pesca lives. Every day he does interviews you're not going to hear anywhere else. Today, he's talking to Thomas Abt about his new book. It's all about everything we get wrong when we talk about gun violence in the city. Click on over there. But before you do, if you got thoughts on Jumani Williams or school segregation or anything else, you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. Thanks for listening. It is the 4th of July tomorrow. That means we're taking a little tiny break. Hope you're getting a break, too. We're going to catch you back here Monday. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.